You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Jason Kemp. Jason. I forgot to introduce myself earlier. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, this is Andrea Fisher. She is our high school director. And this morning we are continuing um, continuing our series on Imago Dei, that we are created in the image of God, that God's image is like his thumbprint on our lives. And but sin has come in and basically marred that image. It's like it's, it's smeared God's thumbprint in our lives. And, but in the midst of that sin, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin and restore that image in us to transform us back into the image of God. And so that's where we're heading this morning. Um, pull up my notes, Sorry. Um, is that we are going to continue talking about the image of God in us. And today we begin basically a two-part series, today and next Sunday, on sexuality and gender. Of what is God's image in us when it comes to how he created us sexually and as gender. And so this is an incredibly complex and nuanced conversation. There is so much going on in our culture. Um, So many things are crashing in around on us on this topic and we want to be very clear and, and do our best to cover this topic with depth, but also we don't really want to speak beyond <laughs> what we know. Um, and so we've invited Andrea to join us. Um, Andrea, through her work with youth ministry, has encountered um, these issues, obviously, when you're working with teenagers, um, middle school, and probably even elementary as well, that these issues are real and prevalent And so over the last six months, Andrea has really been doing a deep dive into the theology and the biblical narrative of how God has created us, what that image of God looks like in us. And so we want to communicate very carefully this morning, don't we? Yes, we do. Like Jason said, because the issues are complex and nuanced, and he said it, we don't want to speak beyond our knowledge. Um, But as I've read and listened and studied, kind of over the last six months, I've been doing this deep dive about these issues with the help of experts through books and podcasts and classes. And then taking all that with my experiences, you know, this is just an opportunity to share what we've learned. And uh, especially as it may help you as you develop a biblical view of sexuality and also how to engage in other with other people in this in this uh, on these conversations, having these conversations in a way that is um, compassionate and kind and full of grace and humility. And so this morning, we want to acknowledge the fact that this is really not the best environment to do this. We're going to give it a shot. (laughs) But Sunday mornings in a finite amount of time, this is a much bigger conversation. And so we've got some resources for you for your own personal study. Um, And then we also have a class coming up uh, beginning in October for five weeks uh, called Grace and Truth 1.0, where we'll walk through a curriculum and have some further conversation about um, these topics in our lives and how we deal with those and how we work through those. Um, but if you go to becomehope.com slash LGBT, um, you will find a host of resources for you, um, from podcasts to books to e-courses. 
um, wonderful things that have certainly been an enlightenment to me over these last couple of months. As Andrea has brought the challenge to us of, guys, we've got we've to talk about this. We've got to, we've got to be a part of this conversation in our culture. Um, how do we bring grace and truth to that. And so uh, encourage you to jump into uh, these resources over the next week, uh, the devotionals, uh, Randy's podcast, your guest appearing on that as well. Yes, it's Aren't not Randy's so voice, which is really, it's the nasally voice of Andrea, not the deep, you know, beautiful voice of Randy. Right, so. right. <laughs> so how do we bring grace and truth to this conversation? Yeah, you know, when we talk about these issues and experiences, there's really two ways that we can engage in these conversations. And the first one is conceptually. And that's just how we think about sexuality and then how we align our views and beliefs with God's truth. So, you know, we trust God's word as authoritative for all people. And the reason is because he created us. He created sexuality. He created sex. He created marriage. And so he ultimately has the final word on how we define sexuality and then how we live that out. So we're called to trust him in his design of sexuality. And that design is good. And when we align our lives with his truth, then we're going to experience flourishing and freedom. Now, the other way to engage with these relationships is, or engage with these conversations is in relationships. Um, you know, we all know people who are struggling in their sexuality in some way, or maybe their experiences don't line up, um, you know, with the majority of people. And you may be experiencing these things. You know, there's no doubt that there's probably people in this room who are struggling with sexual addiction um, and sexual sins. There may be people in this room who are experiencing same-sex attraction. And there may be people in this room um, who just feel like their gender does not align with their bodies. And so, um, you know, as we have this discussion over the next couple of weeks, we do need to be sensitive and we need to be full of grace. And keep in mind that we're all created in the image of God and we all need love and grace as we walk that out um, in our journey of faith. Uh, Jason asked me to share a story of um, maybe how this has been kind of real in my life. And, um, and I wanted to share about a student that I had um, in youth ministry several years ago. And we were at day camp experiencing a time of worship in the evening like we, we often do. And she came up to me and she said she wanted to talk to me. So we left the youth room and went into the prayer room and, and she just cried. She cried and she told me that she was attracted to girls. Um, she believed in Jesus. She was a Christian and she knew what God's word said about homosexuality, that it is a sin, but he wasn't changing these desires and these attractions she had. And, um, and so she just really didn't know what to do as a Christian. And so, um, you know, like most teenagers, she wanted to be in a romantic relationship. She wanted to date. She wanted to have those experiences, but, um, you know, she wanted to have those experiences with girls. And so we, we did a lot of crying. Um, we just kind of talked about those issues. And, um, you know, so when we talk about sex, sexuality, sexual addiction, same-sex attraction, gender identity, these aren't just issues to quote a couple Bible verses, give some pat answers, and then offer some quick fixes. Like, these are experiences of real people who are made in God's image. And Jesus is for people. 
He perfectly lived out radical grace and love, yet he still held to a very high standard of obedience and truth. And because we are followers of Jesus, we need to be doing the same. That's right. And so that's part of, that's not part of, it is our mission as New Hope, to be Jesus in every corner of our culture, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to go like Jesus. And so in the midst of the sexual brokenness that we're going to be talking about today, our big idea today is this, is that in the midst of sexual brokenness, whether it's our own or whether it's others, we can love, listen, and be present with people just like Jesus did. That he sat at the well with the woman who had multiple husbands, and he was present with her. He listened to her story. He understood where she was coming from as he journeyed with her through that. And so we want to do the same. You know, Jesus died with sinners. He was with the marginalized in his culture. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to do the same. And, and it, but it's easy for us to kind of create a group and say, but what about those people? What about those people that don't look, feel, or act like me? What about those people? Well, sin, as we've talked about these last few weeks, is, is, is division. It's divisiveness. And when we begin to put walls and groups around people and say, what about those people? We're, we're missing the bigger picture. Because there's numerous places in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 21, where it lists out numerous sins and says people who are doing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And one of those frequently mentioned is the sin of sexual immorality, of homosexuality, and, and doing things in a sexual relationship that God has not designed. And those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But also in that list is not just sexual immorality. Revelation 21.8 says this, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters... And all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. For this is the second death. Ouch. It's not about those people. It's an us issue. Because right there it says all liars. I know I've lied. And some of the other verses in the New Testament also talk about hatred. And jealousy, greed, selfishness, envy, drunkenness, gossip, lying. I'm in these verses. Are you? It's not a those people issue. It's an us issue. And without the transforming work of Jesus in our lives, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's me. Without Jesus, that's what I deserve. And when it comes to sexual brokenness, almost 50% of marriages end in divorce. And we're not any better as Christians. Statistically, Christians don't have marriage figured out more than non-Christians do. When it comes to pornography, over 40 million people will access porn this month alone in the United States. And about a third of those are women. It's not just a man issue. 
Almost 40% of births today are outside of wedlock. In 2018, there were over 600,000 abortions. It's estimated about 20% of all marriages experience infidelity or an affair. If you think of just heterosexual relationships, the average for both men and women in their lifetime is estimated to be at four to six sexual partners. And today, by the time someone is 20 years old, 70% of 20-year-olds will have had sex prior to marriage. And the idea behind these verses in the law in the Old Testament is that we're sinners. We all fall in this category of brokenness. And when it comes to sexual brokenness, Jesus even said that if you, if you have lustful thoughts, then you've already committed adultery. I'm there. I've done it. Even if it's just in the head, we have sinned, and sexual brokenness is real in our lives. So it doesn't matter if, if you're having an affair, if you're on your fourth marriage, you're addicted to porn, it doesn't matter if you're having sex outside of marriage or you're having sex with the same sex, or maybe it's just that you struggle with alcoholism or rage or violence or jealousy or greed or envy or selfishness, or you're just tempted to gossip. This is an us issue. And we're grateful that God has grace and truth for us in our lives, that the transforming power of Jesus comes into our lives. And so last week, Zach talked about marriage and singleness and what it means to live in a, a faith-filled community, family, right? And so in light of these LGBT plus issues in our lives, we want to take a look at the biblical narrative. What does Scripture tell us? If we're going to follow truth, what does Scripture say about how we should define marriage? Okay. Um, so to define marriage, we need to go all the way back to the beginning um, in, of creation to see what marriage is and how God designed marriage and what it's for. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created man, and he made that man in his own image. And he was created to work the garden and take care of it. And everything in creation God declared was good. But he said one thing in these chapters that was not good. And we find that in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God takes a rib out of Adam's side, puts him to sleep first, thank goodness, puts him to sleep first, takes a rib out of his side, and he creates this woman, and then he presents the woman to Adam, the man, and in verses 23 and 24, we see that the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is what we see as God's definition of marriage. A man and a woman, both created in God's image and equal in their humanness, but different in their sex, coming together as a one flesh union. 
And Jesus goes on to affirm God's definition of marriage in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I think those phrases, that is why and for this reason, is really important here because it claims that there is purpose to this one flesh union between two sexually different people. And um, I'm going to share three purposes for marriage that uh, we share with our students as well in student ministry. Um, but one purpose is for procreation. In Genesis 1:28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So we see that sex is a procreative act and it requires a man and a woman in order to create life. Even if life isn't created every time a man and, or a husband and a wife have sex, their bodies are oriented towards procreation and life. Um, another purpose for marriage is uh, for unity between two equal but sexually di or two different se sexually different people. Sorry, I'm getting my tongue all tied up. Um, so unity between two equal but sexually different people. And whether people intend it or not, sex bonds a man and a woman together, not just physically, but emotionally and relationally and spiritually, even biochemically. Um, that's a big reason why sex outside of marriage is harmful. Uh, marriage is God intended is a covenant love relationship between a man and a woman, again, both equal as image bearers of God, but yet different in their sex as male and female. And what is covenant love? We don't really see great examples of covenant love anymore, um, but covenant love is a loyal, committed love that's not based on feelings, but is based on a promise to choose to love for life no matter the circumstances or the cost. And then that third purpose, which I think is uh, probably one of the most significant purposes of the three, uh, is that marriage foreshadows heaven. God has given marriage as a metaphor so that we can better understand this spiritual truth. And that is that God created us to be in covenant relationship with him. And, you know, normally when we talk about marriage, we don't think about marriage in those terms. But that's been great. Like the study is I'm like, wow, this is like so much bigger than just being married um, and even just having sex. Um, so in Ephesians 5 verses 30 through 31, Paul also affirms marriage as a one flesh union between a man and a woman, and then he connects that to the relationship that Jesus has with his church. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in this metaphor of marriage, Jesus is represented by the husband, and the church, God's people, are represented as the bride. And in, as you know, time comes to an end as we know it, uh, there's going to take place this marriage of the lamb as Revelation describes it, and it, um, it's going to be between Jesus and his church for all eternity. So marriage and sex are not the ultimate fulfillment and purpose for us as humans. And that's, that's a different thing than what we teach. But it actually foreshadows something so much greater. And again, this is why marriage and sex are not 
despite what the culture tells us, sex and marriage are not uh, necessary for people to find happiness and fulfillment and purpose. Even that's a lie that the church has gotten uh, wrong over the years too. Um, But the deepest longings of our heart for love and relationship can only and ultimately be realized in a relationship with Jesus. So in light of God's definition and purpose for marriage and sex, any sexual behaviors, any sexual relationships or marriages that fall short of his design and purposes are sinful. Uh, Same-sex relationships, you know, they just, looking at these purposes, they don't align with God's design for sex and marriage. But let's also remember, as Jason said, that neither does adultery, neither does consensual sex between two unmarried people, forced sex or selfish sex within a marriage, uh, divorce, lust, using people for personal gratification, all those things and more fall short of God's design for marriage and sex. That's hard to remember sometimes that sexual brokenness can exist in a healthy, loving marriage. Mm -hmm. Sexual brokenness still exists. And so as we define God's design for marriage, what that illustrates for us is that homosexuality or um, acting upon a same-sex attraction is sin. Is that correct? Yeah, and God's word is pretty clear on that, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well as what Jesus communicates about marriage and sex. So whenever the Bible mentions same-sex sexual relationships, it always condemns them. Uh, There are several go-to passages about that, uh, but one of the most clear, clear and I think most relevant across culture and time are the verses found in Romans 1, 26 through 27. It says this, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So why are these behaviors called shameful lusts and unnatural? The phrase, because of this, I think is key here. Um, And at the beginning, it points back to the reason that we find actually in verses 21 and 23, which say, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols. So we see that the reason homosexuality is a sin is because it's a rejection of God's good and holy design for sexuality and sex. And Paul goes on to say uh, later in the chapter that when we reject God's authority in our lives, because ultimately he gives us free will to choose who to serve and who to worship, but God will also leave us to whatever shameful things our hearts desire. We trade God's truths for lies and we end up worshiping created things rather than worshiping the one who created them. Oh, and I got more. Sorry. There's another page change. Sorry. Okay. So, but let me, before we move on, um, yeah, sorry, I'm not really good at public speaking. Um, But anyways, let me say that there is a big debate over whether these verses that you find in Romans 1 and other places in the Bible, 
there's questions as to whether they still apply to modern-day consensual same-sex relationships. And I've even heard Christians say, like, well, what about uh, committed same-sex sexual relationships that want to commit to marriage, commit to one another in marriage? And, like, like look at the fact that there are some same-sex marriages marriages that are healthier than opposite sex marriages. And, um, you know, in the world's point of view, yeah, that's totally legit. Like that's a, that's a very legit observation. So, but the problem is we're not talking about the world's perspective. We're talking about God's perspective and we're talking about his design and purpose for sex and sexuality and marriage, according to his world that he's revealed to us, uh, as well as through Jesus. And so the fact still stands that whenever God's word mentions same-sex relationships, it's always in the negative. Um, but again, we don't really have time to dig deep on that. We, this, again, isn't the best setting for that. So, um, so here's a couple questions to think about as we wrestle with that, um, especially as followers of Jesus, is am I going to choose to submit to God's authority in my life, trusting that his design and purpose for sexuality is good and leads to flourishing and freedom? Or are we going to choose our own way? that we're going to live out our sexuality however we choose and we decide what is good for us. And like you said, the, the cultural narrative, the world's perspective is, is very different from the Bible's. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I mean, Zach and I were listening to some teaching this week. There, are, there is teaching even within the church that is totally different than what we're saying this morning. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, that... That side of the narrative accuses of redefining terms in the Bible or interpreting Scripture wrong and things like that. And, and while we're committed to following the truth of Scripture, is this something that is new in the church? Or is this an interpretation that's been around a while? Yeah, it's uh, actually an interpretation that's been around for a very long time. Uh, the historic multi-denominational global church has agreed for the last 2,000 years that same-sex sexual relationships are sin. Now, this in and of itself doesn't prove that homosexuality is a sin, but what it does do is that it shows us that we're not just reading into Scripture what we want to see and believe. Like, God's Word says that... This is, this is true, that homosexuality is a sin. And so we can't look at Scripture from the aspect of, well, I'm going to try and reinterpret this so it fits what I want to believe. Um, but, you know, there is, there has been uniform agreement over a long period of time across cultures and nations and denominations that the basic foundational understanding and interpretation of what the Bible says about marriage and same-sex relations, it's... it's you know, it's, that's what the church believes and has believed for a long time. It's consistent, yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us the rest of the story of uh, what happened with that student a number of years ago. Yeah, so like I said, we're doing a lot of crying. Um, and I, she was just talking about her experiences and her feelings. And, and I was just trying to listen, listen and be a good listener as she told her story. And also trying to discern and pray about how to respond. Um, now, honestly, I have no idea what I said, like my exact words of what I said. But I do remember trying to convey three truths that I really wanted her to hear and understand. And the first was that 
God loved her unconditionally, um, that nothing she could think or say or do would ever change how God felt about her, that she was his precious daughter and Jesus Christ died to prove it to her. Um, So the second thing was that her feelings, her attractions, her desires in and of themselves were not sin. Um, We can't help the way we feel. I told her that. We can't help the way we feel. We can't help who we're attracted to. We can't help what our desires are sometimes. So um, so it's not that those things are sin. It's what we do with those things, those feelings, those attractions, those desires that cross us over into sin. Um, James 1, 14 to 15 speaks directly to this, that temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it's, it gives birth to death. So it's clear in these verses that uh, sin is linked to our actions, not to the desires and the temptations that come before those actions. So following God's design for our sexuality involves stewarding those desires in healthy ways so that we don't give in to those temptations and move into sinful actions. And then the last thing I tried to communicate to her was just that God knew her. God cared for her and understood her. And what he wanted from her was her trust. Um, He wanted her to trust him and her struggle and her experiences. And I told her, like, I, I can't really relate to what you're going through. But what I do know is that God understood and he wanted her to trust him in this. And I told her I didn't know what that would look like if she trusted him with it. But I did know and was confident that God had a plan and a purpose for her that would be for her good. So I tried to encourage her. I prayed for her that God would give her the strength and the courage to trust him with this. And the big question is whether or not we trust Jesus. Do we trust God and his word? And our mission at New Hope is to be Jesus in every corner of our culture, which means we want to learn to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to go like Jesus. And when we think about grace and truth, I'm reminded of how on Thursday night before Jesus was crucified, he was in the garden praying, asking God that, you know, I I don't want what's ahead. I really don't want it. But at the end of the day, Lord, not my will, but your will. That Jesus was willing to trust God's truth, God's plan for him, even though that meant experiencing a very horrible death. But yet God's truth also became the greatest act of radical grace in our lives. That Jesus had not sinned. Jesus was not experiencing brokenness, but yet he chose to go to the cross for our brokenness. So in the midst of truth, radical grace was expressed. And so there is no tension between grace and truth in our lives. There shouldn't be, at least. (laughs) Um, The culture wants us to think otherwise. But true biblical truth is not really truth unless it's applied in grace. And grace is not true grace of God in and through us if truth is not behind it. And so grace and truth exist together in tandem, not in opposition to one another. Romans 2.4 says that, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to us? 
Can't you see that it's his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God's kindness, that radical grace that doesn't ignore truth but uses truth, that is what turns us from our sin. That our big idea is that in the midst of sexual brokenness, whether that's our own, someone we know very closely, or, or someone we know at a distance, in the midst of sexual brokenness, we want to be like Jesus, to love and listen and be present with people. Just like we see that example over and over in the New Testament in Jesus' life. Those are some great ideas, some great um, abstract, abstract principles to live by, but let's bring this a little bit more concrete. What does this look like in our everyday life? Uh, well, I think we need to start with humility. Humility is huge. Again, recognizing that we're all broken in some way because we all fall short of God's standard and his design, and that includes in our sexuality. So then it's taking that love and that grace and that kindness and forgiveness that God has shown us and then extending it to other people um, that he's bringing into our lives. You know, for me, I, <laughs> I tend to be a truth teller and not a grace giver. Um, but digging into these questions and conversations and then taking into account some of my life experiences, God has really been showing me that being right over building relationships is not the best approach. So... Does that mean that I compromise my beliefs and what I believe God says is true? No, not at all. But if I really want to love and live like Jesus, then that means that I need to show kindness, the kindness and compassion of God to those he brings into my life and let the Holy Spirit do his job of changing hearts and minds. And the way I show that kindness and compassion is to offer to journey with people um, as they go through life and as they... As, as they build their faith, and, and I do that alongside with them. And I think, honestly, that's where I fell short with this student is I think I, I gave her truth with kindness and compassion and understanding, but I didn't offer to walk alongside her in her journey. And so if this student happens to be listening today, um, I just want to say I'm, I am so, so sorry. Um, that I did not offer that to you. And, um, you know, if you need someone at this point in your life to listen to your story and uh, encourage you and support you as you walk out your faith in Jesus, and, you know, I'm here, reach out. You know where to find me. I'm here at New Hope. So, um, so yeah, I'd love to reconnect with you and, and to see how you're doing. So, um, and I don't know if Jason mentioned this before, but kind of to sum this all up, I thought Preston Sprinkle, who is the founder of the Center for Faith, sexuality and gender is a mouthful. Um, he made, he gave this quote in the class that I took about these things. He said, our truth will not be heard unless our grace is felt because the greatest apologetic for truth is love. How will people know that God's truth is right without our love, without the grace that he offers to us? And you know, when we think about this in everyday life, if we're going to love and listen and be present with people, we just need to be willing to, to give of our time, to invest in them as a, in, in a relationship, like you said. And we don't, just, we don't just drift into a good relationship accidentally. We have to put effort into that. I mean, if, 
If you walked into an exam room and your doctor was like, yeah, I haven't really, I never really went to school. I didn't do much for 10 years, but I just kind of thought, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And so here I am. That really wouldn't go well, would it? You don't just drift into something like that accidentally. And so the same goes with relationships. That when we sit down and we give of our time, the issues of LGBT and gender identity and things like that, that's like, that's like chapter nine. Worry about chapters one through eight first. Spend time, invest, listen, be present with them. Chapter nine will come and it, in the course of a relationship, it will feel much more natural rather than just jumping in to that depth. Take the time to get to know someone outside of the LGBT issues. Get to know who they are and that will just come up naturally. Again, we've got some resources for you. Um, if you go to becomehope.com slash LGBT, um, there's podcasts and books and courses, things that you can dive into. We'll also be hosting, Andrea and I will be hosting the Grace and Truth uh, coming up in October that uh, we want to just continue that conversation on a small group level, um, that that is um, really probably the better way to do this is relationally rather than on a Sunday morning and, you know, a handful of minutes that we've got that I hope you're hearing this morning that what we're saying is this is not a those people issue. It's an us issue. And when we realize that brokenness of sin is the same ground that we all stand on, it's a lot easier to have those conversations. It's a lot easier to look at someone and say, it doesn't matter your sin. I can still treat you the same way that I treat everybody else who is in sin as well. It becomes a lot easier when we realize that we stand on the same ground of brokenness with one another. Grace and truth are not in opposition. They're not in tension with one another. They, they work hand in hand. That for our truth to be heard, our grace has to proceed and be known and so let's journey together to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to listen and be present with people in their struggles. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week. And know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.